Hey everyone, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs comes to you live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and you can catch us on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms, or youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about flanking and other advanced combat options in D&D, all the way from 1st edition to 5th edition. And it uh, might be a little contentious today, so um, uh, viewers, feel free to uh, share your opinion in the chat, and we, uh, we might put it on screen, or we might just avoid it if it's too much of a spicy <laughs> take. So feel free, to, feel free to take your shot from whatever direction. If, if two viewers provide different comments, Dan, from either side of us, will one of them definitely get through? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Paul. <laughs> I guarantee that one of them will get through if they give opposite opinions. Great. That's the rule for today. So, you know, viewers, the more rules you add, the more complicated your, your, your things get. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Oh, jeez. Anyway, um, I should say let me let me let me give a shout out to why this uh, this topic actually came to mind. Actually, is um, the end of last year um, we had uh, one of our good friends of the show here, Keith Amon. Uh, I think it was the the second to last show, like December of last year, actually. And he was talking about his new book, uh, "More Monsters Know What They're Doing," uh, and he he was very kind enough to send over a copy here. Uh, we're talking about that. He gave a very nice inscription on the inside cover. Uh, Not all those who wander are lost. Um, and, mm-hmm. and thank you so much for that, Keith. Uh, so yeah, sometimes we're not lost, but then other times we get lost in the thickets. And one <laughs> of the really fascinating things in Keith's book is that about midway through here, he really goes into detail about the the fifth edition. And of course, his, his books are all written in terms of fifth edition D&D. So he has this, this full section just talking about the fifth edition flanking rule, which is an optional rule uh, in chapter eight of the DM's guide. And he runs his games using that flanking rule. And uh, some of his, his readers apparently are just furious, are just furious at what a bad idea the core rule, fifth edition flanking rule is. And some people, I guess, have just stopped reading Keith just over this, this one rule. So he has like eight pages here where Keith goes over it, analyzes it very carefully, kind of defends why he thinks it's a reasonable rule, but apparently some other people don't think that. So I figured it'd be interesting. And now I'm unsure about how I want to run run it if I run fifth edition myself, actually. So I figured we'd, we'd hash it out and I'd get your opinion on that, Paul. Awesome. You know, for me, uh, flanking always comes up hand in hand with the thief backstab rule, right? Like, seems like the big the big question is always, does my thief get backstab? When is it, when is it acceptable? When is it not? Um, and I think we can all kind of agree that there's obviously situational stuff where the thief is hiding and like, you know, eating an ambush or sneaks up on somebody who's totally unawares and just boom, hits some great backstab. But like, what about combat? What about an ongoing combat? When can my thief backstab versus when can they not? That's, that's what everybody wants to know. Um, my first exposure to this uh, actually, interestingly, was from the video game Pool of Radiance, which you may have heard of, Dan. I, it's been beaten into me lately. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so uh, fair warning to uh, anyone who's in the same boat as Dan here and is only just playing Pool of Radiance for the first time ever. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little spoilery here on um, on the mechanics around backstab in Pool of Radiance because it's really weirdly nuanced is the answer and and I kind of teased Dan about this earlier uh, when I was giving him little tidbits about the game trying to like you know explain how to use the interface without spoiling the content and so this is kind of riding the line I think um, when does my thief get to backstab in that game it's really actually quite confusing. Um, I and I, I, I don't end. think I managed to have that. I you, you noticed that as I as I played through it a couple times yeah. the last couple Thursday nights on our channel, um, I had a dedicated thief and I actually um, relieved relieved uh, her of duties in favor of another yeah. fighter the other night. And so in the four sessions where I had the thief, I never got a backstab off. So I'm very curious how I should how I could have done that. Which which interestingly you know is kind of the one of the pro moves in Pool of Radiance is to ditch the thief. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, so when I was, I don't know, when did this game come out? In 88, I would have been 11. Um, great. So when I was 11 years old and had this game, I actually at some point shelled out for the strategy guide. I had the paper copy of the strategy guide and I read that. Uh, and the interesting thing is that, you know, as, as, Strategy guide is a very kind way of saying basically like complete sheet tells you exactly where everything is and gives you all the details of everything, right? So most of the book is dominated with just pages of here's a map with a keyed map with all the details of each location written in, oh, wow. which I kind of liked, you know, you know, 11 year old me liked it, not just because it helped me beat the game, but like it almost kind of reads like a module, right? It's almost like, okay, right. almost like a module, right? Like, and it, and it, I don't know. It was kind of nice. Uh, nice from a game designing perspective. Nice from a, on a fledgling DM perspective. Anyway, point being, at the end, there's a there's a couple of pages devoted to combat with just like general strategy. This is where it actually becomes a strategy guide. General, like here's here's how to do stuff. Um, and, and it has a little section on backstab, and it and it recommends you use the quote unquote stalking horse method. Um, and I'm going to show you. Here's here's a diagram. That it gives you in wow. this is right out of this oh, right out of the strategy guide, and so basically what it tells you wow. to do is you need to nominate a character to be the quote unquote stalking horse, and that is either a fighter or a cleric it recommends, and you have both of them delay, right? Because the rounds are not oh. totally obvious in Pool of Radiance, right? Like it is following a round structure and it is oh. changing everybody's initiative order every round, but there's no indicator uh. of when you're in a round and when you're not, right? I agree. I have been I've been confused by that, and I've been caught a couple times about, uh, for example, if a uh, magic user takes damage in a round and their action is later, they can't cast. And I'm right. continually not sure whether my caster is in that situation or not because I don't know when the round started. Right. So the so the workaround for that is to make use of the delay action. So if okay. you if you have your character's delay. Uh, they will shunt themselves to the end of the round. And then you can like, and so the, the weird thing is sometimes they still come up before somebody else went. So maybe you delay a couple of times and eventually everyone's gone for the round and then it's just bouncing between the people who, who've selected delay, right? And basically forcing them to, to go at the end of the round. So you take your stalking horse, you take your thief and you have them delay and delay and delay until you're sure that like, okay, everyone's gone. My target has gone. All the, the only people who are left to go this round is the stalking horse and the thief. 
You walk up to the target with your stalking horse, you attack them, that forces their facing to face the stalking horse. Then you bring your thief up behind them. Now your thief is guaranteed behind them because there is facing in Pool of Radiance. Facing exists. Okay. Um, So now your stalking horse is forced. They're facing. Your thief can come up behind them and get the backstab in. That's the theory. Interesting. So as as long as the thief is against the rear side, they automatically get the backstab bonus. Right. And you will see text of like so-and-so attack them from behind, backstab, and then they get their, their extra damage. And now there's discussion of this, and one of the interesting things is I was looking at um, uh, there is uh, in in um, uh, gog gog.com, which I think is good old games. Is that good old games? Um, there's a there's a forum thread where people are discussing how to backstab in it, and some people point out that like even that is not necess- doesn't necessarily always work, possibly due to a glitch in the game. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the best way to ensure it is to actually have two stalking horses. And like then crazy you're certain by the second attack that they will definitely stick the facing of the target and then your thief will definitely get the backstab in. Interesting. But it's like it's a lot of work, frankly, <clears throat> for something that is, yeah. you know, of mild usefulness. <laughs> I never would have uh, I never I never would have uh, I never would have thought of that actually. Um, the and to be clear, uh, so a pool of radiance is um, compatible with first edition D rules, and so the exact uh, bonus you get is uh, anybody attacking from the rear has plus four to hit, and then thieves, if they're successful in that situation, they either double or triple or quadruple or quintuple their damage depending on what the thief level is. Um, so when that comes up in our in our tabletop games, that's potentially enormously that's potentially an enormous amount of damage coming out of the thief. So it makes a big difference how the DM adjudicates that. Um, and we, m- many of us go in a bunch of different directions. So thank you for telling me how to yeah. work it in Pool of Radiance, because I never would have thought about it's that. Very complicated and frankly, rarely worth it. It's rare, rarely worth the effort. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Now, uh, it's interesting that in, in, you know, we'll get back to, um, you know, the, the, uh, the motivation for the discussion, which is namely how fifth edition, uh, D&D does it, uh, because, uh, interestingly, right, the, there's three um, optional combat rules in the 5th edition DMG, and they are, and they're, they're presented as separate, but they happen to be flanking and facing and mm-hmm. how you uh, move on, dia- how you count diagonal movement. So once again, right. it seems like there's this uh, boundary of the D&D abstraction that butts up against these related issues of how do you do flanking, how do you facing, and they're kind of interrelated like that. Um, yeah, that so it's interesting, interesting that you couldn't you couldn't avoid talking about backstabs without talking about facing. I guess that makes sense because obviously there's the word back yeah. in there. So is, where's the back? <laughs> right, right. That is the thing, right? But 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 I mean, you know, um, you know, to dig into that, right? Fifth edition changes that terminology, right? Fifth edition now calls it sneak attack instead of backstab. Okay. Yep. Right. 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 I think right. Uh, I think they started that in third edition, right? I think third edition. Yeah. Uh, was yep. was where they started calling that sneak attack, and right. you could get it f- from a number of different purposes. You could get it from a ranged weapon in certain circumstances. That's... And let me think of so I'm just thinking back to third edition. So that was one of the primary triggers that allowed you to get your your thief, your rogue sneak attack in third edition. Is uh, they had a flanking rule. If you had characters that were on opposing sides of an enemy. 
uh, they were considered flanked, and then you get some bonuses, and then all of a sudden, all of your thief stuff kicks in. And the the main other way was what in a uh, they had a they had a special terminology for the initial round in a combat called the called the flat footed segment or something. Right. Yeah. Well, my yep. my third edition terminology is wrong, but but right. You'd you'd roll initiative. You'd roll initiative, and until your initiative count came up, you were flat footed, and anybody could sneak attack you. That's it. So hopefully your rogue has high initiative, beats everybody on initiative. Again, this is third edition. And then yeah. up until other people's rounds come by, you can get your sneak attack against anybody. That's how it works. I mean, ultimately, like, ultimately, I think I think that um, I I think that that the change in terminology from backstab to sneak attack is a good one because, frankly, the, the weird thing about backstab, I think, is that uh, over the years, I feel like it has been in, interpreted incredibly literally, right? And so there's often discussions about back. Is it in the back, right? What's okay now? I need mm -hmm. facing if I, if it's going to be in the back mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I'm like literally stabbing you in the weak points of back and stab because I've had certainly people ask, well, can you backstab with a flail? Right? Clearly not. It's not a stab. Oh, okay, okay, yep, all right, right, okay, right. But, and then and then you know and then like maybe maybe you don't get that literal with it. Maybe people are like, whatever, as long as it's a melee weapon, it's fine, right? Because certainly I can clock someone in the back of the head with my sap or something. I'll like say that, that I've had but... I've had players I've I've had players come into the game and assume that their thief needed like a small sneaky weapon, right? It's like they needed a dagger to do their kind of like assassination type stuff. And certainly um, we're we're surprised that I was generous to give him with a normal sword or two handed sword or something like that, actually. But but a lot of people will draw the line around a range weapon. Right. A lot of people will say, well, it's mm -hmm. got to be a melee weapon. Right. Which. Yep. I mean, why? Why? I, I think the, the point for me of the ability is that it is a surprise. Right. That it's it's a, a an, an unseen. You're, you're taking advantage of the fact that your target doesn't see you coming and you, that, you know, critical spots weak points to hit them when they're not paying attention is the way i've always looked at it here's here's let's talk thing. about the third let edition me, rule let, yeah go ahead let me yeah let okay. me draw here's 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 uh, the, the sort of central theme of where i'm going to come from on on this on this ability is that i feel like uh it is really um overly investigated by folks that um People tend to whittle this rule down, and frankly, it's one of the key abilities, one of the actual useful things of this character class. So my gut instinct has always been like, why are we trying to limit the usefulness of this one ability that this character class has? Which frankly, it's a lot. I'm, I'm going to say that. The, the, the thief character doesn't have a lot of chances to shine. So why are we nitpicking this one rule? Like, let's, you know, it's cool when the thief gets a sneak attack in. Maybe give it to them a, a little more often. That's my. Uh, Admittedly, you don't want it to be. You know, if it comes up to doubling or tripling or quadrupling uh, damage at higher levels, you don't want it to completely outshine the fighters. Um, so um, I can see. Yeah. I can. I, and I can. I can see wanting to be balanced. Wanting to be halfway balanced about it. Um, yeah, I don't mind that it requires a little finesse, but I think if you're if you're sinking an extra yeah. round into it or coordinating with another player in some way, I think that's okay. Anyway. Let's, um, yeah. so I'm going to throw up Williams. Okay, so uh, William here in the chat is saying too many DMs are bitter that their big bad evil guy uh, has gotten taken out by a sucker punch from the thief by a single <laughs> quadruple damage uh, wipeout. 
Um, so I can uh, I can I can see that. Let's talk. So, but, so let's talk about specifically the, the the fifth edition rule here, which you know I had to brush mm -hmm. up on myself. So in fifth edition, uh, make a long story short, similar to third, you get people on either side of a target, and um, as you pointed out before the show, Paul, of course, fifth edition came really close, didn't entirely do it, came really really close to wiping out all the earlier editions. Um, hit bonuses, right? Plus two or plus four or minus two or minus four and just collapsed all that stuff into either do you have advantage or not? They didn't mm -hmm. quite get there, but they got really close to that. So of course they made where uh, flanking, you know, in third edition used to be a plus two to hit, if I recall correctly. Um, now it gives you advantage if, the, if you opt to use it against an optional rule. And apparently one of the criticisms is that's too much. Again, on average, that's like a plus four to hit. And so according to what I see here in Amon's writing, uh, some of his readers are um, angry that flanking is so very effective. They say, well, now no one's gonna wanna do anything else. Every single mm. person in the fight, they're all gonna have flanking. The whole fight's just gonna chain up into uh, side A, side B, side A, side B, side A, side B, um, in a chain where every single person is pursuing flanking in the entire fight, and all my fights are just going to be a big flanking chain all the time. Um, one thing that we we looked up, um, unlike third edition, the uh, in fifth, uh, the you know it is an optional rule. The rogue doesn't need flanking to trigger their sneak attack because the um, the core rule there is written not assuming you've got flanking in action. And as long as just somebody else is standing anywhere near the target, they automatically get the sneak attack. So this is this is a whole separate thing in fifth edition. Right. right. My, my read of that was always that the logic is simply that the the the, the target is distracted, right? That the target is distracted because right. there's another enemy within five feet, and so they're focused on that, not the right. not the thief who's maybe sneaky and maybe less threatening. So they, you know. Don't quite pay attention. I, I kind of like that stuff, frankly, because I don't like to fiddle with grids and facing. That gets a little too um, detailed for me. It's too much to track. Uh, I don't. I mm -hmm. often don't want to play with miniatures. I often just want to be descriptive about it. So I'm. I, I mm -hmm. assume that during combat, that we're not, you know, strictly marshaled like you were maybe in a war game where you actually have ranks of of enemies facing each other. That that position. As we're fighting and when we're rolling dice, that that the the in my imagination in the fiction, the fighters are 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 moving around, right? They're dodging, they're weaving, they're circling around each other. That the positioning isn't super super precise. So I like that kind of abstraction. That it's really just about well, are there more than one enemies for this target to deal with, and therefore maybe it's going to present a, a weak spot to the thief to get in there with the sneak attack. Now it's interesting that that Keith's argument and, and that and what you're saying is very close to me, Paul. So Keith's argument, and he, he's a very he's a very literal guy, and that's that's very close to my heart. I'm a very literal, mm -hmm. literal guy myself. So his argument is that um, if you read carefully in the the fifth edition DM's guide, it says if you use miniatures on a grid or hex map, then flanking can be a rule that you might wish to use. So his argument is that flank, the flanking rule cannot be used in theater of the mind. The rule specifically says it's only for miniatures on a grid and you are not allowed to use it in any other circumstance and it doesn't make sense in other circumstances. Um, and that you must have the miniatures specifically on opposite sides of the enemy. So um, it certainly, so that certainly feeds into the argument of are you 
working with miniatures on a grid or not, because obviously that's where these rules come from. They certainly come from wargaming with miniatures on a board. And when I run, you know, Book of War shows with my partner Isabel that, you know, we're usually conversing about, is this a rear attack or is this not? Um, and so at least Keith's argument is, you know, the, the rule says you, you can only use it with miniatures and you can't, you're not allowed to make it vague like that. Yeah. I mean, that's Agreed, fascinating, disagree. I guess. For, well, yeah. I mean, uh, do I agree that flanking only makes sense with miniatures? Yes, but I want to say yes, but uh, mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. think that m miniatures, I don't think it's a good ad for miniatures either for me in my head. I, you, even mm -hmm. when I'm using miniatures, especially when the miniatures are one-to-one, -one, and this is, maybe this is very arbitrary, but like when you're talking about units, right, and, and you're in a war game, then facing and, and rear versus front makes more sense to me. Because yeah, generally you've got this unit of say 20 men all facing this direction and marching together in unison that yeah, there's a backside and a flank side and getting hit from that side is, um, you know, bad for them, advantageous for the enemy. Whereas once it's one for one, like I, I stop seeing the grid play and the miniature play as being that static. It doesn't seem realistic to me. You know, anytime I've watched any kind of, you know, theatrical combat in a movie, say, or a play or whatever, people don't, when, when people are fighting one-on-one, -on -one, they don't stand regimented like that, right? They don't stand still. There's much more movement. And so I have to assume that the miniatures are a rough stand and a rough approximation of where people are and not that precise. So I, think so that's I don't really, even want I mean, I think that's a really good point myself. And this actually feeds into like another related issue. I'm just going to throw up um, uh, William's uh, comment from a couple uh, couple minutes back. Uh, when we started, uh, William said, uh, flanking versus sneak attacks versus back attacks versus withdrawing from combat. Uh, D&D has several options that effectively are getting people to get stabbed in the butt. Um, and so these, these kind of have gotten juggled and permuted, dictated around in different editions of D&D. So I have, um, that's kind of a source spot for me. I don't know about for you. So I have an image there that's labeled, it's, it's the very small little piece of text is what it is. Yep. I got it. There you go. Okay. This is, I so assume, this an ODD chunk. Yeah. Even before that, even before that. Yeah. So this yeah. is, this is email. the rule out of chain mail. Mm -hmm. Yep. Not surprised. Seventy seventy two, right? So I feel like this is where this is the germ where a lot of these um, you get hit for free in the back come from, and just like you were just saying, Paul, this comes from a mass combat situation. You've got formations, and specifically, what it says is what happens exactly when a unit of a whole lot of people retreat in route, and it, and it says there um, this little slice of text: troops forced back in retreat or route, they're going to have their backs to the enemy and they must remain unmoved on the following turn while they rally, while they reorganize back into formation. Now, if they're attacked at that moment while rallying, um, there's, a, there's a die roll, something, something. If they fail the die roll, um, then casualties are suffered from that attack in the back while the enemy take none in return. So, and you, got, you can kind of see that. Okay, so someone retreats, they're unorganized, they're trying to reform, they don't have their facing, and if someone, if another unit attacks them, you get a free attack, does a lot of damage, and they're, they're not organized enough to make a return attack, great. But that basically spawned this whole D&D &D idiom, right? When that does, 
get carried forward into first edition and so forth is get carried forward in this this idiom of if you're in a fight and someone runs away you get this free attack as they go away does that make sense i actually don't think it does i really don't feel like if we're trading blows and someone really just just you know turn you know just just flees i really don't feel like i'm going to be in a position or or uh inertia to get an effective attack as they go um you know the, the brief time that i took a you know def martial arts defense class they said if someone has a weapon just run you you will be you will clearly be out of range before they can make a, an effective attack against you so i feel See, like my, my instinct is that this was this was a mangled rule and it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense in one-on-one -on -one. yeah for one-on-one -on -one, that's that's what uh, i feel like that's right. the major distinction for me like these things make mm -hmm. sense to me when we're talking about a unit of people let's say 10 people versus 10 people right mm -hmm. if it's a 10 on 10 fight and 10 one side gives up and runs away then you know again mm -hmm. my, my mind starts to fill in the gaps and say like well some of them are running some of them are running past like oh I, i'm i'm scared of the person i'm fighting i'm turning and running away and this other guy on my side is like hey sweet free attack right like as you go running by but it's for some reason in a group dynamic it makes more sense to me whereas when it's one on one I'm like yeah no of course not like I, I was just fighting you and now i'm pulling away i'm i'm increasing the distance why would you get a free attack that's crazy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah agreed yeah. agreed and 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 you know this this rule the original chain rail rule really clearly comes out of the whole are you do you have your formation or not right and yeah. and that's a thing you know in in um, medieval warfare keeping a strong line of shields up front makes a huge difference and once that's broken you're basically screwed so really that rule comes out of are you know do are you maintaining your formation or not and then when that gets switched into one-on-one -on -one combat personally i don't feel that, that that makes a whole lot of sense um the youtuber uh that goes by the name lindy beige uh has a video like i have an article on my blog uh, delta's dnd hotspot about this lindy beige made a video about the same issue where he also disagrees that that makes a whole lot of sense and he goes into a whole lot of detail on that i personally agree with that that it, it, the 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 transition from war game rule to man to man rule that seems mangled to me and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yep. 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 I agree. I agree. So, what do you use, Dan? What's um? Do you use flanking? Do you use, when when do you allow sneak attacks or back attacks? What's your what's your favor these days? So, great question. So, for me, running uh, an original D and D type game, um, and and this, you know, we were just playing um, at your place last Saturday, actually. So, I think you saw this happen. Um, I do. I ask the. So if. If, if there's if there's a if there's a chaotic brawl happening, I asked for the thief character to make a uh, move silently roll. Mm -hmm. And if it, if there's a chaotic brawl happening, I allow the move silently roll and the attack to happen in the same round. So I'm going to try to get around the back of them. It's chaotic. It's confusing. That seems to make sense to me. Make a move silently roll, and if that's successful, then you get your back attack. If not, you can make a normal attack. Um, if there's not a chaotic brawl happening, then I uh, require two rounds to do that. So then, okay, you're gonna have to sneak behind them, make a move silently roll. If that's successful, then you can back attack next round is what I do. Uh, but I guess that's very different from what you do, eh? I, it's, it's pretty similar, actually, uh, at least in the okay, terms okay. of like, if, if it's a general, like you said, if it's a general brawl, if I've got five PCs against five orcs and we're all just kind of in a, in, a, in a clump, 
then yes, uh, I, I say make a make a move silent roll. If you succeed, it's a backstab. If you fail, it's a normal attack, and you've already committed. And I say you've okay. committed to the attack at that point. You've got to roll it. Um, okay. and then and then I have some some edge cases that I allow for. One is uh, if it is if it is truly one on one, right? Like you're a thief against this one orc, and you've kind of separated yourself from the rest of the brawl. Then no, no back attack. Is obviously your one opponent is keeping tabs on you and is not going to like lose track of you in the middle of a fight. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And then the other extreme right. is if you outnumber your opponent two to one, two to one or more, then I assume okay. that the opponent is distracted enough that you can just have a three backstab. And that's interesting. That's close interesting. to, but slightly different from the fifth edition, right? The fifth edition rule says mm -hmm. if another enemy is within five feet. And, it, and I like where that's headed, but my problem with it is it still allows for that ridiculous chaining, right? Of, okay, well, now, we just have, well, now we're just in this conga line of, of back attacks or sneak attacks, which I think is goofy. For me, the point is, is the opponent distracted enough? I think there was somebody in the chat mentioned an example of like two or three characters against one ogre. Yes. If mm -hmm. I have a party of three fighting one ogre, then I'm going to give that thief their free backstab every round. Because I'm assuming that the other two are distracting it enough to... For the thief to get into position, right? That's Steven saying that. Yep, that makes sense. Now, now, eventually, I don't, I don't, I don't run it that way, right? So, I, I always require um, from the thief, unless there's something really crazy happening, I always require a move silently roll to succeed at that. And for what it's worth, right? Being a, a very literal guy, uh, basically, uh, I do that because when the when the thief first appears in original D and D and supplement one, the Greyhawk supplement, it does say. By striking silently from by striking silently from behind, the thief gains two advantages: the bonus to hit and the multiple on damage. So, mm. it, so it says by striking silently from behind. Again, this is before you had a keyword like backstab or sneak attack. Um, and I kind of like that. I kind of like you got a you got a skill to um, to move silently, and I I kind I personally kind of like that having be, that being the limiting cap on the backstabs of you got to succeed at a move silently check. And that's what I do all the time. Uh, here's, here's, an, here's an interesting point from Vance that I want to put up on screen here. Uh, Vance asks uh, or, said, or points out, there is the flank mechanic of discounting shield AC, right? Uh, I feel mm -hmm. like that, that, I can't remember where in the text that comes up, but there's certainly mention of, you know, if you're attacking from the side or the rear, then the, your opponent doesn't get their shield bonus. Do you, you ever do that, Dan? Is there ever a case where you deny targets the shield? Armor. Great question. Um, so I'll just say in fifth edition, that's the separate optional rule on facing, right? So that's, that's actually separate from planking. That's that that text 100%. He's right is in the optional facing rule. And more or less the fifth edition facing rule just replicates the first edition facing rule, right? Which itself just comes out of the war game. So if you look back at it's interesting, because they don't have a picture of this in fifth edition, but they do in first edition. So hmm. I don't suppose you can pull up that image that's got the hex map on it, Paul. Yep. Yeah. So here is the the first edition um, facing rule. Now this isn't a DM's guide. First edition tends not to be super clear about whether these things are optional or not, um, mm -hmm. and you can see that they have options for both a hex map and a grid map. Hex map comes first, actually, weirdly. Um, and so if you look at maybe I'll look at the the square version on the bottom. Uh, you have a defender on a grid, and you have this front slice, which is considered the front. You've got flanks to the left and right, and then you have this rear section. And again, if some if an attack comes in from the rear, 
Uh, it's at plus two to hit. Uh, there's no shield bonus. There's no dexterity bonus. Um, and in order to use the shield, technically the attack has to come from the front or specifically the left flank. Because that's where anybody holds their shield. It's going to be on their left arm, obviously. Um, and if attacks come from the right flank or the reel, then you're not supposed to um, you're not supposed to apply the shield bonus. And more or less, the fifth edition facing rule says the same thing as all that, including the you can get your shield bonus from the front or the left, but not the right or the reel. And I I don't I, I and, and you know the interesting and one little interesting thing is fifth edition says you're definitely only going to use facing with miniatures. Do not try to do this with theater of the mind. First edition says the opposite. Says if you're you know if, if you're using miniatures, great. If you're not, memorize this picture. Memorize this picture, <laughs> DM, and then and mentally visualize it and apply it in the game, right? If you're not using miniatures. So there's kind of an interesting difference in opinion there. And I personally, you know, as um, um, Vance said, I, I think it, shields are only plus one in original D&D. So I'm like, it's, I don't think it's worth it, frankly. I yeah. don't. Yeah. I actually, I actually, I don't tell any, okay, now I've just told people this. I, I, I generally don't tell my players this, but I just overlook it because it's one more thing to think about that I don't want to. So I actually, I actually just ignore that and just use the, just use the fixed AC. Maybe I'm a bad yeah. first edition DM. No, I, I I totally agree with you. This is this is way too fussy for me. I'm not going to memorize positioning like this, and and especially like, oh my gosh, the moment you start talking about left flank left flank versus right flank, I'm like, now we're going to get arguments about the handedness of the character. Come on. <laughs> uh, for me, you know, I've again, had these. I, yeah, I've, I've had, had this is an abstraction. I've had these right? arguments. <laughs> I, I feel like I, well, okay. I, I visualize a lot more movement in my combat, and I think one of the bonuses of having the shield is that you're going to find ways to interpose it, right? That as a warrior trained in use of a shield, if attack is coming at me low and to the right, I know how to spin and crouch and get my shield in position. Let me play devil's argument. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, devil's advocate here, right? Uh, in your castles, right, you're going to build your entryway and you're going to build your stairways spiraling in a particular way that attackers are coming down shield first and get the bonus, but the defender, but the, the, the defenders are coming down with their shield ahead of them, but defenders can't do that because they're kind of coming up to the right. And so how can you simulate the advantage of your properly re real life, real world constructed stairwells in your castles if you don't uh, uh -huh. recognize uh -huh. the difference of the flanking with the shields, Paul. So, huh? so is this, is this, I mean, what if we're fighting in the courtyard, Dan? Does this only happen in the stairwells? What if I'm on the battlements? What if I'm in the throne room? What then? Uh, yeah, but what about the stairwells, Paul? That's all great and good, but this, <laughs> the, the, the stairwells have to be properly simulated. Pro <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Much. No thanks. No thanks. I mean, and on all and honest truth, I mean, there are times when I actually feel, I mean, I actually feel bad that those issues aren't coming up in my games, actually, a little bit. Um, you know, or a castle whereby, you know, the, the entryway turns turns left so that the the attack, the defend, the attackers can't use their shields. Um, but I, honestly, I agree, it's, it's, it's not worth it. I, I don't get to that point. Yeah. And and I think as, as a good rules lawyer, yeah. I have to insist then that you roll like a one in six chance for any uh, any defender that I'm attacking the, that they might be left handed and thus they should have a penalty for, for being forced to fight off handed. A great argument, Paul. But let me counter <laughs> with this. 
you know, if you look at like consider, you know, consider the movie 300, right? The, from the Frank Miller comic book, right? It is an actual truism that um, it is an actual truism that in order to be in the army, um, everybody had to have, if you're like in a Roman legion or something, you absolutely must have your shield on the same side as everybody else so you could lock shields together properly and have everybody's sword coming through the gap on the other side. And if someone wanted to be in the armed forces, they weren't allowed that. And look, my own, my own uncle, right? This is hashtag the, the past is a foreign country, right? My own uncle in my family, right, was naturally left-handed. He was not permitted to be left-handed. They actually tied his arm behind him, forcing him to act and write right-handed because it simply wasn't permitted even just one generation ago, right? If, you, yeah. if someone was left-handed, they simply were not permitted to be that. That was, that was only 50 years ago. Even a great warrior who is trained in fighting with their offhand intentionally, mm -hmm. like say Inigo Montoya, is still ultimately better when allowed to use their proper hand. <laughs> okay. okay. Anyway, we are we are so down the rabbit <laughs> hole. Let, now. Me say, uh, let me say this. But, you know, <laughs> is, is it a good idea or not? Is if you go back to um, our Book of War shows uh, from last season, right at the start. Um, it's a war game. I'm playing with Isabel every week. Um, I tried to implement that in Book of War, right? Like I actually felt it was important enough and an interesting balancing factor that I actually wanted my foot troops to um, be more durable against uh, archery and things like that. So I actually instituted a rule in Book of War um, that said if, you're, if your ground troops are being attacked from the front or the left flank by mm -hmm. missile fire, that you get an extra bonus. Uh, you know, that's more powerful than shields are in D&D normally. First edition has a rule that maybe specifically against missiles, you can bump up the shield bonus maybe. So I was kind of hanging my hat on that. Uh, and then that would be an interesting balancing factor about foot versus cavalry versus archery. And I was, you know, very happy to bring that table. And, and even with me, I could not, I could not work the rule right. I kept forgetting about it. Right, checking which direction the missile fire is coming from. Isabel kept forgetting about it. We were, uh, yes, of course, we were having arguments about the exact angle, exactly what degree angle from the front counts as front versus you know right flank, and so perpetually we kept forgetting about that over and over and over again, and I scrubbed it out of Book of War. So I, I made a real uh, yeoman's attempt at working that rule even into a war game. And I, I was frustrated with it and removed it just last year. So even in that context, I couldn't make it work. Uh, remind, I feel like, and ultimately this all boils down to uh, the, the so-called golden rule. Can you remind me what, what's, the, what's the Gygax's golden rule or your golden rule that's derived from Gygax's? <laughs> Yeah, the, I, I feel like the best thing that Gygax wrote in the first edition DM's guide, it's like on page four or something like that, is um, uh, uh, up until the point where it interrupts the, the gameplay flow, we do pursue the highest degree of realism. Mm -hmm. So I, I like pursuing, you know, you know simulating right. real world combat, getting to think about what the real world is. But yes, as soon as it interrupts the flow of the game, you have to abort that. Yeah. Right, right. And that's, and that's, for me, that's, that's the problem here is we get into these arguments, it gets very fussy, slows the game down, and it starts to inhibit the gameplay. 
And like when the moment where we're spending more time arguing about whether or not you have flanking rather than just doing the attack and, and keeping the, the energy going, I want to yeah. get rid of this stuff. I want it gone. I agree. I agree. Paul, I think you prompted a whole lot of uh, uh, beverage uh, intake in the in the chat. Um, as Bill Rubine <laughs> said, he said, Inigo Montoya, it's time for a drink. And I do believe some people are following up on that. Uh, feel free to uh, to drink double fisted if you <laughs> if you so choose, viewers. I mean, yeah. Well, the moment you talk about handedness, you know, you know, uh, you know, there's going to be some some uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> some Princess Bride references coming up. Um, so Paul says, Paul says, keep track of the tr keep track of the handedness. And Dan says, unrealistic. Everyone's unrealistic. forced to be right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so, all right. Is, so, so, is is it? Look, I guess I feel like a little bit. We keep getting, uh, we keep returning to sneak attack, backstab. Is there an argument for flanking is a bigger rule than just sneak attack? Flanking is important for other reasons. And even if you're playing without thieves, because you hate that, that class, you should still use flanking. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I, I actually could see that. I mean, I don't use it in my games because it's not written into you know original D&D or Chainmail or First Edition, which is kind of all the same mm -hmm. thing, really. Um, I mean, if it had been in there, I probably would be using it. Um, you know, I guess yeah. there's, there's I mean, the, the specific, there is the rule about, you know, if you attack from the back, you get plus two. Um, but then you have to deal with facing. Right. You know, I feel like there is a moment you, you, you mentioned, you know, I think it, a little bit, it boils down to just, just tactics, right? Like what tactics does a party start to grab onto when they realize, oh, this is this is tactically advantageous, so we should use it, right? And, and the counter-argument there of uh, once you have flanking, then every combat just becomes conga line of death because you want, mm -hmm. you know, every other, you know, <laughs> team A, B, A, B, A, B, all in a line. Um, uh, where was I going with that? You, um, you mentioned in first edition that there's actually a distinction between um, the bonus to hit and the extra damage, right? That backstab ultimately only gives thieves the extra damage and that everyone gets the plus four to hit when attacking from behind, right? Is that uh, true? Pretty close. I think it's up. normally plus two and thieves it's plus, becomes plus four. Oh, thieves get an extra bonus. Well, close. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. I feel like right. okay, we'll most, that most like. players I play with are surprised by that. That they that that they assume that the bonus to hit from behind is specific to the thief class, and are surprised anytime you might give a bonus to to say a fighter or cleric who's attacking from behind. Well, that's interesting, and I mean you can kind of you can kind of sympathize actually, because now again now I need to keep track of multiple rules, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I can I can I can sort of sympathize with it, but. Um, now you're making me think about that. But I, you know, <laughs> I, I honor that. That's, that's been there since Chainmail. It's been there since man-to-man man man Chainmail. Uh, you get some kind of bonus when you're attacking from the rear. So, um, you know, and I, you know I, I'm not super um, strict about facing, but if there is some, you know, narrative reason why clearly you're coming up from behind someone, um, you know, I don't mind that. I, now, I, admittedly, I tend to be pretty flexible, right? If you look at first edition, 
there's no idea of, there's no concept of advantage. Um, the bonuses tend to be either plus two or plus four or an automatic hit. There's kind of one table that more or less summarizes plus two or plus four or, plus, or an automatic hit. So I tend to be, as a DM, I tend to be pretty, you know, flexible about finding reasons why you're going to get a plus two or a plus four. Um, and that, that, that overall idiom, you know, answers, you know, solves a lot of problems for me. If someone just tries something cool or jumps down from the top or gets extra energy for something like that, I give them a plus two or plus four and hitting somebody from behind is in that same category. So I'm not mm -hmm. super strict about specifically saying you've got to have the miniature facing this way and you must be on this particular grid face. Uh, you know, you you're do just, something, you're probably going to get a plus two. Here's a nice, nice comment from Joshua in the chat that I think uh, agrees with you, basically, where he says, I think there's nothing that rules for flanking accomplish that couldn't be done easier or better with rules about not being outnumbered or surrounded. Um, and generally, I think I agree that, like, I'm all for just random situational bonuses that are not strictly codified, right? Of, of you know, yeah. for this reason, I really should get an extra little plus two. Um, and I feel like stuff like, you know, I, I snuck up behind him falls into that category, right? My, he's, he's really focused on the other fighter and he didn't notice that I kind of swung around behind and clocked him in the back of the head. Great. Sure. Here's your plus two. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And it's not, you know, and again, that's, I feel that advantage is a slight, everybody loves advantage, but I feel it's a little bit of a blunt instrument that I like mm -hmm. being able to scale that up to two to four to six if I want to, and not just be stuck with the, uh, the advantage, which is close to, you know, plus three or plus four on average. Um, yep. Yep. So I, I, I like, I, as DM, I like having that flexibility of, of, you know, dialing that up subjectively if I want to. Yeah, we're going to get into the, the advantage debate here, but I I agree that advantage is a blunt instrument, but I think Agreed. that's one of its one of yeah. its perks. Honestly, is is when you have a player who's really getting into trying to pick out oh, but I have but what about this and what about that and trying to get like I can just say look, you get one advantage, right? We're done. Advantage doesn't stack. We're done. You've already got advantage. It's fine. <laughs> I hear I hear it's nice in, to be in practice I haven't I don't run into that you know in practice maybe yeah. you know maybe I'm a maybe I'm a sufficiently scary DM but nobody tries but in mm. or, or 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 I'm just really blessed with super great players so I haven't yeah. run into that that issue myself um you know before we wrap so so part of the so so before I make make sure I want to make sure we get to this this question that I personally had because uh when we read ran our uh the big bad uh, tournament show and, and there's some new people that seem to have just discovered that recently, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so we ran the, the Big Bad uh, tournament show here on our YouTube channel. Uh, that was fifth edition. And mm -hmm. uh, we, you were the referee, obviously. I was just running some guys. And um, <laughs> just running we, some it, guys. It was, it was, <laughs> and we used miniatures. And it was on a mm -hmm. grid with fantastic uh, miniature terrain from Dwarven Forge. And it looked awesome. Yep. Um, and I realized that I was kind of, I mean, you you adjudicating the rules. I was myself a little bit unclear about which of the optional fifth edition rules we were using there. What what mm. were we, as far as flanking or facing or measuring diagonals on a grid, what were what was what was in your mind for uh, the big bad Paul? Yeah, it's funny that it's it's long ago enough now that we did this that some mm -hmm. some of the things I'm not gonna be uh, my memory is not perfect on. But um, I don't believe we were using flanking. Um, I I can't recall, frankly, if we were when we were counting out movement by square by square what we did for diagonals. 
But I think that oftentimes I did fall back on just using a ruler, right? Where it was, yeah. you know, measuring range or possibly even even movement. I'm trying to remember if we did this or not, but I possibly uh, I would just I would just get out the tape measure and just measure it out and go, okay, well you go, you know, twelve inches, so you're here. Got it. Got it. And um, I know we were doing that for but, range attacks and spell ranges and stuff, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Definitely using it for for, for, for ranges and yeah. area of effects. Um, you know, I always had the tape measure ready. And this, this is one of the nice things when you have very visual terrain like that, like Dwarven Forge offers, especially because it adds a third dimension and you know, you, you kind of have right. to at that point start going going to the ruler method. Um, right. But that said, one of the nice things about Dwarven Forge as a product, right, is that it does that there is a grid baked in. It's subtle, but it's there, and you can see it, and so you can count mm -hmm. squares. Mm -hmm. And I just don't remember what we were doing for diagonal movement. I think that's always a it's always a question. I my gut says I probably um, probably did the like like. To every other, right? The 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 the. Yeah. I mean, I'm just used to that. That that again, maybe this is pool of radiance, burning this into my head of like every other diagonal counts for two, maybe. I don't remember. Well, that's another interesting thing about pool of radiance, actually, is because to my knowledge, the first time I ever saw the, um, you know, you're moving on diagonals on a grid, and you're supposed to count five feet, ten feet, five feet, ten feet, five feet, ten feet, um, which is pretty darn close to Euclidean geometry. Um, the first time I ever saw that was in third edition. And I thought that mm. was um, really clever, honestly. I was like, oh yeah, that totally, that's the way to do that. That fixes a lot of stuff. Um, mm. And if you told me that that was like a 2.5, like an edition 2.5 innovation, I would have believed that. But to have that show up in a pool of radiance um, in 1988 with first edition rules, that was a big surprise to me. I mean, was that the first time that that ever appeared in official D&D product? I can't imagine it was any earlier than that. Good question. Certainly, I have encountered cases where, um, you know, digitizing rules, right? Like taking paper rules and trying to make a video game out of it does force you to to figure out some things that you didn't realize were issues, right? Because computers are That's so my literal whole, right. about their implementation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is my uh, whole odyssey with uh, my arena simulator program, right? Which initially was just like, well, I can just run some fights and I'll just spit out the proper uh, encounter levels um, for experience point purposes. And uh, that is my whole experience with that odyssey of like, there's so many places for adjudication from the DM that you do have to kind of plaster in um, and then I wind up, and then it winds up being a show at some point. Of like, what, are the, what do our viewers think? Because I probably shouldn't make this decision entirely alone. Um, yeah. So that that as as a as a software as a computer programmer, that is a that is absolutely a very deep experience for all of us. Yeah. Yep. And that and that continues, <laughs> and that that exploration continues as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So let me let me ask you, Dan, because we have a few minutes left here. Um, you know, getting getting back to you know flanking or or specifically as it feeds into uh, the backstab ability. Um, in in when you're running OD and D, do you allow backstabbing with a ranged weapon? I don't. Hmm. I don't. Hmm. Um, uh, okay. Let me. That's that's an interesting question. Um, and it's, you know, 
related in Pool of Radiance, it has surprised me that um, you can auto kill someone who's sleeping with a ranged attack. That actually surprised me. I think in first edition, uh, it might be, as I, as I read it this morning, it might be a little bit ambiguous. Technically, that auto kill rule is under the section of strike blows. Mm -hmm. uh, but the language itself doesn't specifically say melee attacks only. So um, I guess I guess first edition had a weapon specialization rule in the supplement where you were allowed to use your special specialization, uh, like maybe up to thirty feet away. It was very limited. Um, hmm. um, it's interesting because when I think of the the you know I try to imagine real world examples that the, the counter argument is sort of like, well, what about snipers? Right? Isn't isn't that effectively isn't a sniper effectively doing a sneak attack or a backstab or a whatever, right? They're this is interesting. They're effective because they can take their time and their and the their target is unaware of their presence and location. Okay. Interesting. Okay, now we're debating. Um, which I'm that. not, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm. I and I, I'm bringing this up really as devil's advocate because, frankly, in my own games, I also do not allow maxing with rich weapons. But okay, it's okay, interesting right, that okay, fifth edition rolls them in. I think it's interesting that fifth edition. I feel like is the first edition to really like formalize it and say, yes, it's okay. You can sneak attack with a range weapon. So I'll say that in first edition, for what it's worth, and this is the kind of thing that you know sinks into my brain over time. So in mm -hmm. the first edition player's handbook, the description in the thief class is backstabbing is the striking of a blow from behind, be it with club, dagger, or sword, period. Um, club daggers. And, and that, that's basically all the weapons they have, too. Um, so they specifically list out right. melee weapons, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of places like that right. in original first edition where it's clearly but, intended. But surely then we blur the line when we allow multi-classing, right? Okay, I'm a thief, I have backstab, but also I'm a fighter, and so I'm wielding a longsword. Or a, you know, or a, a, a halberd. Can I, can I backstab with my halberd? You know, I personally say yes, and then I have players that themselves have thieves that actually kind of push back against that, and I'm kind of on the, um, I'm kind of on the, um, on the fence about that, actually, if if I, if I was playing with a DM and they said no backstabbing with a halberd, I would accept that. I'm like, yeah, that's not a terrible idea. I feel like you know, there's a like, and again, from movies, the there's a, there's this weapons. point where you're you're right, you're getting in and you're trying to find the like a particular organ, like either throat, kidney, solar plexus, something like that. Here I go. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this too too visceral as usual. Um, but I feel like you're trying to you're trying to do surgery. You're trying to do a bit of surgery yeah. on the fly and having something like a battle axe. Uh, I can see someone saying no. I mean, I, I say yes, uh, but I could actually see a Deem saying no. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, definitely getting, getting gray area there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and likewise, right, and the, the ranged attack thing is not doing surgery, right? It's like I'm not entirely sure that from 60 feet away you can plant an arrow right in somebody's eye if you need to. So um, I, I, I got to admit, my instinct is to say no on the ranged attacks myself. But 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 I'm Legolas. Surely I can I can do that, right? <laughs> I don't I don't think I have Legolas in my games, frankly. I, no, no. I don't think I have anybody <laughs> shooting three arrows at once or sliding down the tusks of an elephant. Um, that might be that might be not the the gritty horror game that I'm running. Actually, I hate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
All right, then we're just about out of time. <laughs> Maybe that's any, any final thoughts on flanking? I th- I think it's interesting that you know there's this there's this boundary to you know traditional D and D rules, and this is like right on the fence that we're constantly you know debating and struggling with this you know now for about fifth, going on fifty years here between the editions, and I I'm not super surprised that Keith is finding this so incredibly contentious um, because it's right it's right on this border of flanking and facing and backs and backstabbing and free attack stuff that is just makes playing D&D a little bit awkward. Um, and personally, I don't, um, I, I, I got to admit, I having minimalized my games a little bit in the last number of years, um, I kind of, I kind of really don't want those, those rules that only make sense on miniature grids. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, te- you know, I'm happy to be, have a little bit of flexibility, but do you get a two or a four or a six bonus? If you're playing fifth edition, then you can play around with the advantage the same way. Um, and I, uh, I, 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 and I, and I ignore the first edition shield rules and I ignore the first edition facing rules. And I think that my games do flow a little bit better for that. Feel free to disagree. No, no, I think that I think that's I think that it's all on point for me. Um, I think the big thing that came to light for me here today at this conversation was that a lot of these rules do seem to have their their origins, unsurprisingly, in a, a mass combat you know war game, and that mm-hmm. when you try to extract stuff from a uh, mass combat situation with a group dynamic into a one, one-on-one situation, it doesn't really work as well. And there's certainly cases where maybe we shouldn't have done that. And unfortunately, now it's so steeped in tradition, it's hard sometimes to eschew this stuff when really it would be nice if you kind of started with a blank slate of saying like, okay, one, one-on-one fighting, how should this work? Um, I agree. And you can kind of see to begin with, like, you know, here it is Thursday afternoon and you're playing and it's 2 p.m. And I don't know how to run a man-to-man combat. We're just we're just going to borrow all the rules for mass combat. You can kind of see that as an initial just like, let's get started and do this stuff. And I, I and I do feel that, you know, Gygax and company having done that were a little bit too stuck on um, uh, keeping. Um, uh, 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 what's it called in a legal context? Um, uh, the prior rulings are in effect. Mm, Why is my okay. brain gone blank on that? Starts with a P yeah. word, right? <laughs> this is not good energy. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, keeping prior rulings in effect all the time, and I wish that they'd been a little bit more uh, precedent. Thank you so much. God, thank you, John. And Joshua and everybody except me, uh, keeping the precedent of the prior rulings around. And I wish they'd been a little bit more flexible at editing stuff that wasn't working at the table. Because I don't, I personally don't think that that stuff works at the table very well. And they, they should have been a little bit more aggressive about editing stuff from the war game that's not making sense man to man. Yeah, mm. I agree mm. with everything everybody just said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a reason why I forgot that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well good point uh viewers uh if you are watching watching this show later uh after we've completed and uh, you have some thoughts on flanking or how it relates to sneak attacks or backstabs uh leave us a comment here in the in the video um tell us how you play it 
and uh, maybe that will inspire new thoughts and uh, perhaps spawn off yet another discussion down the road for us. Yeah, definitely. And of course, if you're new to the show, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us on places like YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and also TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites. So look for us there and you'll get updates on upcoming shows. If you prefer to listen to our shows in audio-only podcast format, you can find those files on our website at wanderingdms.com. You can also find us on various third-party podcast carriers like Google Podcasts and Spotify and iTunes. Um, if you're listening to us on one of those sites, please take a moment to rate and review us on that site. That helps uh, other users find us, and uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. And of course, a huge thanks to our patrons who support The Wandering DM Show. Couldn't do what we do without your help. Uh, if you're in a position and would like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. You'll see a couple different tier options. Uh, we'll get discounts on merch, access to a private Discord server, monthly behind the scenes stuff we try to do, and after party chat. We uh, had to skip that last uh, weekend when we did our extended episode last Sunday. We were live playing Fiasco for the 4th of July holiday. Uh, but we'll be back uh, there uh, today in about 10 minutes, and uh, both Paul and I uh, will be there. So if you have more thoughts about uh, flanking or uh, other combat options that you work in your D&D game, we would love to continue the discussion live on our Discord server. Yeah, I, think, I feel like this is probably a, a, a feisty enough topic that uh, we're going to see some, some interesting discussion in the after party chat. So please come join us. I'm sure uh, yeah. there are a lot of uh, opinions and um, no right answers. So <laughs> come join us and let's hash it out. Personally, I'm sufficiently on the fence about a number of these issues that I feel like a really good argument could easily uh, sway how uh, how I run my games. And maybe the game last Saturday would have gone a slightly different way as a result, as a matter of fact. So I'll be looking forward to uh, hearing people's thoughts about that. Uh, of course, I'll be back uh, Thursday night uh, for uh, more uh, punishing uh, Pool of Radiance play. <laughs> Hopefully. Now, I'm getting better with viewer help. With Paul's help and viewer help and a whole lot of uh, comments on YouTube, I think I'm getting better. So I'm looking forward to, um, uh, I think I, got, I did a little bit better last week, and I feel like I'm going to do uh, even better. Maybe I'll try this stalking horse technique and see if my fighter thief can uh, can get a backstab off. Eh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but of course, that. we will be back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that, Paul. Um, yep. And if you're not there uh, late Thursday night, uh, don't forget, of course, that we are live uh, here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.